0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the April twenty sixth, twenty sixteen edition of Ask a Leader. Sarah Butts, third year MFA directing student at UCI, has cut from whole cloth her brand new play entitled Forever Changed. Many of you will recognize the mothers whose loss of a child is the material upon which this intimate play is based. The play will be staged this same week as this interview if you're listening live at Studio 4 at the Claire Trevor School of the Arts, March 29th and 30th in the evening, as well as at the Truman Elementary School on Sunday, May 1 at 1 o'clock. And During the second half of the show, Southern California Director of California High Speed Rail, Michelle Baim, returns to the show to talk about finance, what the recent road shows have been telling the, the authority and the public meetings, and what society gets out of investment infrastructure. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Sarah, Butth, creator and director of a play that I want all of you to know about, Forever Change, that will be presented this week, April 29th and 30th, and May 1st. First two dates will be right at UCI Studio 4 and the other at Truman Elementary. I post this because we have precious little time to get everybody on board with the scheduling this. Sarah, having completed her bachelor's degree at Carroll College in Montana, where her directing credits there include In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play, Anonymous, Violet, A Heart Without... Real Stories of Homelessness, Rent, Jacob Marty's Christmas Carol, You're in Town, Avenue Q, Shrek into the Woods, Les Miserables, Brigadoon, Clue the Musical. From 2004 to 2011, Sarah worked at Venture Theatre in Billings, Montana, as Associate Artistic Director and Director of the Venture Conservatory. In 2011, she was an Adjunct Theatre Instructor at Rocky Mountain College. Last summer, Sarah was an Assistant Director at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, for um, uh, Amadeus and King Lear, and she's now a third-year Masters of Fine Arts directing student at UCI. And while at UCI, she's directed a number of productions, including These Shining Lives, her graduate thesis production that lingers with me yet. The Two Gentlemen of Verona Doubt, Rosencrantz and Goldenstern Are Dead, The Effect of Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds, and The Goodbye Girl. Most recently, she directed Pygmalion at the Long Beach Playhouse and is currently assistant directing Amadeus at the South Coast Repertory. In 2013, she was an assistant director for the Light and the Piazza at South Coast Repertory, so she's covered lots of great theater around. Appearing on this show a year ago, she was with the Shakespeare Shorts with Jane and all her her uh, directors and actors there, so we're going to welcome her back to Ask a Leader. Welcome back, Sarah. Thank you. Cons- considered a community development project, Forever Changed is inspired by stories Offered by mothers in the Orange County community who have experienced the loss of a child. Sarah has collaborated with Irvine Council member Beth Crom, who lost her son Noah in 2009, and subsequently founded Healing Hearts, a support group for mothers who've experienced child loss. And I think most of them were adults, but we'll get maybe that'll come up later on. Yes. The project is under the support and advisement of Marcel Holmes, Associate. Vice Chancellor Wellness, Health, and Counseling Services here at UCI. Sarah, this marvel of a play. Did you find the project, or did it find you? Um, I would say,
1: it found me. This, I this subject of grief was sort of on my mind, m- mostly because my husband has experienced a lot of grief somewhat recently. He's lost a couple very close friends, and he lost his mother. Uh, about two years ago. Um, but since moving to Irvine, I've been, my husband and I have become friends with Beth Crom, And through our conversations, she spoke of losing her son, Noah. Uh, he was a college student at UCSB. It was a week before his, gra- his graduation. Um, so quite a tragedy. But as we continued to uh, have conversations and talk, she she expressed an interest in the stories of the mothers that have in her group, Healing Hearts, and taking those stories and turning it into a piece of theater as a way of giving voice to these mothers in this particular community of grief.
0: So I was wondering, motherhood wasn't the overlapping factor, but it was grief in your own, in in you as a couple, your husband and you. Yeah,
1: uh, just through seeing him go through... Um, the loss of his mother and loss of close friends, it got me thinking about grief and the way that we process grief and talk about grief. And I don't know that we do that very well, Um, which is interesting because there's not a lot of guarantees in life, but death is one of them. Um, So it feels, and I think the experience of grief can be very isolating um, because we don't always know how to talk about it. And I don't know that
0: we... Understand it fully, and your play is giving us all a kind of a, a brochure. I mean, I I I know two of the mothers from whom you've drawn this material, and I know uh, I'm I'm sometimes wondering what's the, the what's the proper way to acknowledge or to, uh, or the, whether the setting is the proper time to bring it up. What, uh, it's it's something they're obviously processing, but is this the time and the place to be? Uh, direct, but anyway, you've given us all a, a, a major brochure with how to 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 deal with this respectfully, uh, and and we we do really get a very intimate look at this. Well, um, so how what was the process approaching these women like gaining their trust? Um, well, it was
1: definitely very humbling, and I'm thankful for Beth. Uh. Because Beth she had yeah Beth Crom, who's been my collaborator throughout this project, uh, because she had this network of mothers that she knew very well, and so we had four gatherings at her home, and usually there would be anywhere between two to five mothers and uh, and we would just sit around her table and they would share their stories. And I think I went into this. You know, letting them know that I didn't have an agenda, that I was just there to listen. And um, so I think, yeah, just just that intention of being open and it's not me trying to get something from you. I'm just here to listen. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned, because that was a question I had, too, about how do you respond to somebody who's had a great loss? And one of the things the mothers have taught me is that just being there, being an open listener not needing anything from them and allowing them to be where they're
0: at. You know, this uh, I'm way off the script here. I hope this doesn't broadside you, but I I've, I've had the the privilege and the delight to see Anna Devere Smith perform. Oh, so I'm yeah. wondering if uh some her her she's obviously listening cuz she's she can just uh, assume the characters. You're not assuming these characters, but I'm wondering if her theater might help might have helped inform how you approached this delicate material. Yeah,
1: you know, since my, my time at UCI, I've actually encountered a lot of different approaches to community-based work. Um, I've taken the Cornerstone Theater Workshop, and I did the Peace of Mind project that that uh, is interview-based theater. And so in that class, we learned a lot of different approaches to this kind of theater. So she was definitely somebody that we talked about. Oh, okay. Um, so some of her approaches to interviewing... Um, was definitely part of what I considered when I was in the process of, uh, interviewing the women.
0: Well, mother, a mother losing a child is perhaps one of the most profound losses that you talk about. And then the, the mothers refer to themselves as being part of a community, a subset. They're bound together by the shared experience. So, uh, we're, I mean there there's a variation everybody's was a little bit different there most of them were adult offspring that um they, these mothers yeah, lost Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, all of the in fact, I think every mother that I interviewed had lost their child when they were their child was
0: in adulthood. So in their 20s or 30s most of them. Yeah. And so an interesting you chose the the mothers have a a stage name. But their offspring has the name that, that at least two of them that I recognized. I don't know the other ones. Right. So that was an interesting selection, a choice on your part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's five um, undergraduate actors that are in the play, and they sort of take on the voices of all of the mothers. But we do have within the piece, there were 12 stories, and we do have those represented in, in the play. And we actually use the name of the ch- the children. Um, because as we found, that's something that is very healing for the mothers. You would think I I thought going in that, you know, maybe they wouldn't want to talk about their children because that's too painful. But quite the opposite, talking about their children and having their children's name spoken aloud actually helps keep their memory alive, and
0: it's very important to the mothers. Well, let's go to that. Speaking of a ch- another person's a child's name, uh, I really valued the portion where you let the mother say how she ruse that people have taken their child and given their child an identity they've imposed a different identity or imposed a a kind of an explanation about what the child succumbed to can you talk about sort of where that came from in the discussions and how you're trying to bring make sure that point made it right into the play
1: yeah um In a couple of the the cases, uh, the couple of the stories that the mother shared, um, the loss of their child happened due to an accident and um, or unknown causes and something that was very painful and is still very painful. And there's there's a lot of emotion that the mother still feel, understandably, is that the way that um, the uh, I guess public service. I don't know what you would call it. Like the way that um, that is talked about after their child has left, you know, making these assumptions that are not based on fact and sort of painting this picture of that's not accurate. And, you know, that's that adds to the pain of the family just having lost their child. And then for for that child to be framed in this very negative light that's not based on truth and, you know, that being out in the public. And so it only adds to the pain and trauma of experiencing the loss that they've experienced.
0: And I remember I I heard those utterances about which that particular character spoke, and I, it's what made me think, grind... Sort of hunker down and figure out. Okay, this is where 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 am I going to allow myself to go? Because it I, I had no appetite for that. But it was I'm so glad that you captured in that for for uh, for all of us to consider because there'll be a there'll be another uh, offspring yeah. lost that a mother will be grieving, and let's let's be better prepared, better yeah. members of their community. Well. Uh, For those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guest is Sarah Butts, UCI Masters of Fine Arts candidate who's created and is directing Forever Changed. Will be presented this Friday and Saturday at Studio 4 at UCI's Claire Trevor School of the Arts Complex and at the Truman uh, Truman Elementary School at the Tribuco and Jeffrey uh, sort of generally speaking uh, that intersection in uh, Irvine so um, and this it's an intimate setting all of them and you have yes. uh, this is free folks so I just you don't have to look around but you have to figure out where Studio 4 is and everybody's got that all mapped out yeah. so uh, so the let's go back to the, the process the impact it had on you and we'll go then I think that that, that pro that impact then probably had many fold more of an impact on the ones that were contributing. So let's talk about what you were starting to how it was starting to have an impact on you and what what it meant for them now to have a play be a platform for their raw nerves. Um Yeah, I've learned a lot throughout this process. Um,
1: And one of the biggest lessons I've learned, actually, this last summer, I was asked to give a title of the show, even before I had begun the interview process. And I had given, and so I had to come up with something. um, And I had first named the play Forever Without You, and about, you know, as I got into this process, I... After listening and learning from the, the mothers, I just, I realized I needed to change the name and that's why I changed it to Forever Changed. Because something I learned is that these mothers, their children are not without them. They still, they, they still consider, they talk of their children and they think of them still in the present. Um, and something else that has been, that I have learned as well is that this loss has changed them forever and has changed their families forever and they will never be the same uh that they after this after this loss and so i think i realized just how transformative the experience of a loss like this can be
0: taking it in <laughs> well how did you notice they were being reached the impact on them as you were putting the play together i don't know how they were seeing uh, the scripts coming yeah. together i mean how how did this sort of re- re- kind of revelations then you noticed develop with them yeah
1: well really um the development of the process i was mostly in um so we had the the gatherings where the mothers would share their stories mm-hmm.
0: at beth's house yeah
1: and then i was in constant regular contact with beth um, and we would talk a little bit about what the piece was, but um, but actually last night we had a preview rehearsal just for the mothers. <gasps> oh my yeah. goodness! Yeah. So and we were, we were we were very nervous about because ch- we really wanted them to feel listened to and heard, um, and f- we wanted them to feel like we were being good stewards of their stories and words. Um, but they they attended, and um, it was very emotional for the mothers and for the actors, for all of us. Um, And we were pleased to discover that they did feel very listened to. And it was very, they said things like, it was very calming to hear my child's name and Mm -hmm. to see these experiences that they had talked about kind of played out in front of them. Um, So I think, you know, I think we all want to be heard. We all want to feel heard. And I think this is one way that, you know, theater provides a platform to give voice and to, um, to empathize and and put ourselves in someone else's shoes, so I I think it was a, a a powerful impact on them and on us as well.
0: Well, from reading that, I can see where the impact would be very intensified by how you layer the voices, and I imagine with the the rhythm that you set in yeah. directing uh, each of those lines, so they're sort of coming at you uh, at a at varying paces and so I'm sure they felt heard with the uh the knob turned up to 11 in, uh, in and yeah. how you're combining and collapsing their messages. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so uh, let's uh, talk a little bit maybe about the elements of the play. You have sort of a tribute. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's some Greek play that there's a kind of a was it Amy? Is Amy a mother or is Amy a narrator? Is Amy a um, chorus?
1: The the names like that plays. appear in the in the script those are the actors' names. Um, so yeah, the elements in the play. I mean, when the actors first read it, they're like, "This feels like beat poetry," and I uh-huh. would say it is sort of structured a lot in in a poetic way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we have a combination. We have these sections where it's sort of the chorus, I guess actually like a Greek chorus, like it's sort of choral in nature, where it's like the chorus of the mothers voices. and then we have um, what we're calling tribute monologues, which is the individual stories, twelve individual stories of of each of the mothers. And then um, we have various movement pieces as well, um, and music is an important part of the piece. So yeah, a lot of different different
0: elements to, to the play. And so this is going to be presented at studio four. So that's a, how does that space work there to um, present that?
1: Well, it's a big open acting studio. Um, and so we have, I've been working with Martha Carter, who's a lighting designer here at UCI, a graduate lighting designer. Was that where Sam I am was presented? I think I near there. I'm not, it may have I been, th- okay. it may have been, um, but we've created uh we think of mother, we think of home and so we've created um kind of this very homey setting um which i think was a nice a nice atmosphere for the mothers coming in so yeah, yeah. and then the truman uh,
0: elementary school?
1: Yeah. It's actually um it, the New Horizon Elementary New School. New at Truman, at Truman, yeah, at Truman School. Yeah. Yes. And Oops. that will be in uh their multi-purpose room. Okay. So,
0: yeah. and you've already you figured that space. You've been in there and
1: Yep, we've been rehearsed. in there. Um we have not rehearsed in there. We'll we'll oh. be going in early before the performance. Uh but my actors are um on top of it and I know they'll they'll adjust well
0: to the space. So, so folks watch for the signs around studio yeah. four and then around the, the campus yeah. there. And I New should Horizon.
1: mention as well, um, the show being part of the Illumination series, the tickets are free. It's not it there's no cost to attend the performance, but to guarantee a seat it's best to go on the Illuminations website and R S V P Oh okay to guarantee that you can Illuminations get a seat. at
0: UCI dot edu, I think. Yes, I believe so. That is important. Yeah, and it's just under
1: the events section, and you just click on the event, and you'll see um, an RSVP button on the right-hand side of the screen.
0: Well, you've gone to a lot of creative and um, a lot of effort to put this together. Is this play going to go anywhere else? You know, take this on the road? I don't know.
1: We'll see. We'll see. I definitely feel compelled to continue this exploration of grief. Um, and I think there's something interesting about looking at just one community of grief, like in this case, mothers who've lost mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested in the experience of other communities of grief. Um, so I don't know where this will, t- where where things will go after this. Um, but it's coming at an interesting time in my, my grad school career, because in my last quarter. So... I don't know. I I have a feeling this may continue as well, a project.
0: South Coast <laughs> Rep knows all about you, so the Argyris, uh Theater or the South Coast Main Stage somehow they'll you know you can add another uh, grief-struck mother in there and open it up to all we'll see there all yeah, of Yeah, you never know. So the I want for people to know that for the May the April thirty and May first there will be post-show panel discussions uh, on April 30th at Studio 4, Dr. Marcel Holmes. She's the one that has been partly assisting in this uh, in mm-hmm. this community-based project. Dr. Tali Baram, Captain Anthony Paul Frisbee, and Dr. Josette Banks. And what will they set out to cover? What do they want to accomplish?
1: Oh, well, we wanted... When when um inviting people to be panelists, we wanted to cover kind of a variety of people coming from uh, various backgrounds. So um, you know, we've just asked them to make this more of a free form discussion and just respond to the material based on you know where they're coming from uh, as professionals. So it'll yeah, I think it'll be just a kind of shared discussion with the audience.
0: And I I didn't. Uh, uh, Identify their different associations, but Dr. Holmes is with. She's a, as I said earlier, she's associate vice Chandler's, chancellor of wellness, health, and counseling services. And you've got a neurobiologist, a p- police department affiliate, and a, right from campus, and a local therapist specializing in grief. So That's it's right. it's a whole series of volumes that they can b- to bring to that. And then uh, the community performance at New Horizon School. You will be having. Uh, Margie Flightman, she's the co-founder of Solace. That's a support group for families impacted by addiction. Addiction is one of the features there. Yes. So then, um, and tell us some of the other ones that are going to be there. Um, then we have Christy Batiste, who's with the
1: Trauma Intervention Program here in Irvine. And then Michelle Atiyah who is uh, a patrol officer, mental health liaison for Irvine Police Department. And then Marilyn Kaplan, who is a local therapist here in Irvine, who specializes in grief
0: specifically. So it's, a, it, as I said earlier, it's a marvel of the place. And Sarah, you are, you are going places. And where do you want your involvement at once your MFA is a wrap? Where do you want to go?
1: That's a really great question. Um, for, I want to know where. <laughs> um, it's still something that my husband and I are figuring out. Uh, luckily, he has a job which allows him to be remote, so we can kind of go wherever we want to. Uh, but we're going to Montana for uh, several months. I have a couple directing jobs yeah, there. Yeah, they know so. you there. They know your yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> so going, going home for a while and then looking at probably landing somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or
0: West Coast. So still f- figuring that out. <laughs> okay. Well, I really appreciate your taking the time because I know you, you, like you said, you, you did a, a staging for the, the mothers yesterday. We did. Yeah. I would have been, I could have been a, a little, not the fly on the wall, something a little more ornate <laughs> than that. but And so much more to put together in both venues shortly. So uh, thank you so much for coming down in studio thank you. with me today. That was Sarah Butts. UCI, Masters of Fine Arts candidate who's created and is directing Forever Changed based on what the Healing Hearts, Congregating Mothers in Grief have contributed. We'll be right after a short station break and we'll hear uh, from Michelle Bame. She's the Southern California Director of High Speed Rail. Be right back. Welcome back everybody to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Michelle Bain, the Southern California Regional Director for the California High Speed Rail Authority and board member of both the Los Angeles and Orange County chapters of the Women's Transportation Seminar. Michelle Bain typically addresses particular questions with stakeholders immediately affected by the decisions made of the high-speed rail here on Ask a Leader. She'll step back and take a, a larger picture view of some and maybe some other nano details for our benefit. As previously mentioned in tail uh, on this show, I, when Michelle's been on, Michelle's brought extensive private sector experience working on rail corridors throughout California to this public agency that is h the high-speed rail originally from huntington beach michelle Bain received her bachelor's degree at cal state long beach fresh from her april 12th board meeting she's fully conversant with all 12 segments of the system she comes to us today from los angeles welcome back to the show michelle Bain.
2: Thank you very much, Claudia. It's a real pleasure to be back on your show. You take such a wonderful approach uh, and a public policy approach to some of these large projects that it's really exciting for me to to join you again
0: well you you say that, but I have a I have a very myopic first a sort of a sensibility to to drop here, but before we really get started with the questions, I want to lay out an intangible for everyone's consideration. I have to say, What a time I had last Sunday putting my bike on the L.A. Metro Rail. There is something about rail that opens people up, gets us all interacting like no other mode of transit. So before I disembarked from my round trip, I was treated to an unexpected cinematic moment. I'd expect no less on a high-speed number. So, Michelle, the last time when I talked with your surrogate uh, for the high-speed rail on Escalator, there were some uh, promising private investment prospects coming from Nevada and from Chinese investors. It's a new day with the Chinese financial markets experiencing some huge adjustments, is it not?
2: Uh, we are still very, very excited about the prospects for uh, private investment in the high speed rail project. Um, the United States market, the domestic market, is really one of the safest markets for uh worldwide investors to place their money in. And so we it, we are still getting a lot of enthusiasm um from that marketplace in making those investments. Um, high speed rail uh has been something around the world that has um, attracted private investment and the uh the the the, the prospects for that for the high speed rail project and program are are very good right now okay we recently released a draft of our 2016 business plan that described a a process whereby we would focus public investment on bringing the project into operations, and then at the point that we had operational high-speed rail, we would then bring the private market into the high-speed rail operations in California. That is very well received, again, by the international marketplace, so we're very enthusiastic about some of the uh, some of the information that is presented in that 2016
0: plan. Well, and I get, I'm not, not going to over-focus on the Chinese part, but they they have a pretty – full appreciation for high-speed rail as a mode. So that does that sort of help the investment picture from, from their perspective?
2: It absolutely does help the investment picture. Uh, in the international marketplace, obviously, a lot of folks have experience with high-speed rail in their countries of origin, and so that very much helps them to understand uh, what the uh, promise of such a, a system is.
0: Well, Michelle, could you bring us up to date on the availability of the $6 billion necessary for the full funding of the initial construction phase?
2: Absolutely. Well, that uh, initial construction phase has been funded for a long period of time through both the federal ARA funds that were allocated to the High Speed Rail Authority as well as the Proposition 1A bond funds. Um, In recent years, uh, we also have been allocated uh, a stream of funding from the cap-and-trade program due to the fact that having an all-electric mode of transportation um, would reduce the greenhouse gas emissions in the state of California. So, Through those mechanisms, we have that Central Valley section completely funded and have indicated that um, in past plans. What's exciting about this plan is the fact that we are also indicating that we have a much longer section fully funded using those uh, particular sources of money.
0: So the cost of borrowing remains pretty low And the Great Recession continues for many. Investments in infrastructure seem like now or never, don't they, Michelle?
2: Infrastructure is always an interesting place to invest. It's certainly something that is very much needed. Um, That investment is very much needed as we look to modernize our, our infrastructure for the 21st century. Um, it allows uh, people to diversify their portfolios and provides um, some uh, less risk in an overall investment portfolio. So from that perspective, uh, we believe that infrastructure will always be an area that will be invested in. Um, we certainly hope to take advantage of low interest rates um, by having, by being a private entity, or excuse me, by being a public entity, um, and by bringing the creativity of the private sector to bear, as we've always discussed, we hope that we will be able to leverage and get the best value, um, for our, uh, leverage. Well,
0: as, as the authority adds, more stops on the line. The, Criticism in the press is about the speed of the train is going to be lowered considerably, sort of defeating some of the purpose of this mode of transit. Does what could you talk to that point that's getting lots and lots of attention? as people are watching the alignments. The zigzag is the word that's used in some press analysis.
2: Uh, absolutely, we are. We have always been very conscious of that fact. Um, You know, and it's a little bit of a a consideration to look at, number one, getting the most people on the system that we possibly can to maximize the investment. But number two, making sure that those people that buy a ticket get the ride that they bought the ticket for, which on high-speed rail is, of course, a uh, high-speed trip. Um, So we limit the number of stations. On our overall system, we are actually limited to 24 total stations for the statewide Phase 1 and Phase 2 program. And in most locations, uh, those stations are at least 30 to 40 miles apart. Uh, We also have the ability to run express trips. For people who are looking to go longer distances, um, not looking to take a trip from one station to the next immediate station. Therefore, when we build our system, we build station tracks and we build through tracks at stations so that express trains can continue through stations to provide the speedy trip that people are looking at over longer distances, but that the folks that are looking for a slightly shorter distance train can still take a speedier trip than currently available, but they can stop at the station of their choice.
0: Well, if you don't mind breaking this down, Michelle. So let's say, what's the top speed for the express trip, and what would be the the top speed for the 30 to 40 mile segment?
2: Well, the top speeds are are the top speeds of the system. We're designing the system to accommodate a top speed of 220 miles per hour. Um, so it's just the question of how long that speed is sustained over the over the course of the trip Uh um certainly when you slow down to a stop uh then you are not traveling while you're stopped 220 miles per hour um, but uh it's all a factor of that uh we have a statutory requirement to be able to take people from LA Union Station to San Francisco in 2 hours and 40 minutes and at this point we see uh we we there is uh nothing that would prevent us from achieving that 2 hour and 40 minute trip all of the All of the tracks that we are designing right now would enable you to take a trip at the speeds required to meet that requirement.
0: Well, you know, it's just a way off script, this just makes me think of uh, what could high-speed rail do like what Elon Musk did to – he brought out his his new car, uh, rolled out his new car. He got all these investors to pay for – a car before it's even available and so i'm just wondering how can high-speed rail roll out that you know get you get i don't know they're not buying the tickets but they're some sort of advanced individual uh, sort of investment in that i'm just there must be a model here we'll have to uh, you'll have to have a power lunch with elon and find out what he'll do for, <laughs> what, he'll, what he'll bring up there well for those of you you're just tuned to ask a leader on kuci 88.9 fm in irvine my guest is Michelle Baim She is the Southern California Regional Director for High-Speed Rail, and we have the privilege of breaking all down what's, what's not getting the coverage. That's what community radio is going to do, and I certainly would encourage mainstream media to do a, a similar job of, of finding out really what's not getting covered and being more thorough so we all can appreciate that that two-hour, 40-minute stretch, LA to San Francisco, is still happening. So we're uh, we're talking about high-speed rail in segments. I want to talk about the hearings that you had in San Fernando uh, over a year ago. Then you moved your hearings to Buena Park and Fullerton and Anaheim last October. It was right after I spoke with your surrogate. I wanted to know what are you learning from those earlier public meetings that help you get the job done that help you glean more from the public in the next meeting series
2: so claudia first of all i want to just say that um in our world the term hearings has a very specific i meant meetings. right right i meant and meetings associated yeah. with um a specific type of public meeting that's held during the release of a draft environmental document okay we haven't done that yet we haven't held those hearings Um, what we are doing of course is going all around the southland holding public meetings to begin to gather the input from the public to develop those documents those draft documents that would eventually um, have the formal hearing associated with them. And as you can imagine, building a large piece of infrastructure like this, um, we're working on the 330 miles of the system that's in Southern California. Um, people have a lot of opinions about what we're doing, and it's very, very difficult to build such a piece of infrastructure sure. in a urban environment like Southern California. And so that's really what all of these public meetings have been about. And we have all kinds of different public meetings because we wanna really be as accessible as we can so that people can, um, can provide their information in a way that is as convenient as possible and we can get the word out as far as possible um, to engage folks as early as possible in the process um, to build the train. So we have uh, one on one meetings. We have small group meetings. We have larger group meetings and we have big uh, public open house type of meetings. And what we've heard over and over again is a lot about individual communities and the character of the individual communities, what people hold dear about those communities, and their concerns for us about um, how we can, or their questions to us about how we can protect their communities as we build this train. And it's an ongoing process right now. It's an ongoing dialogue. Um, we have uh, changed and improved our ideas about how we're going to build the system here in Southern California uh, based examples. on uh-huh. the feedback that we've received for the public. Uh-huh. In some cases, um, we've made dramatic improvements um, and are receiving you know, wholehearted thank yous. In some places, we still have more to do um, in order to be able to address it and so people are still kind of looking at us and thinking okay I've seen some improvement but you still have some more to do which we readily acknowledge
0: well I guess I'm noticing like a cognitive dissonance that there's the the critics are all saying we've got to stop this we can just unplug this whole thing it's just, it's a train to nowhere and I get when I'm sort of in the sphere of influence of the high speed rail it's a it's just it's One step forward, one step after the next, and so uh, I, when I visit the website for the high speed rail, which I invite everybody to have a look, see though you're, you make the case, and I imagine you're going to be adding to it, and it's 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 all fitting and proper that you need to make these cases of how not not the whole community, but how individual businesses have been that would be displaced by the right of way have relocated with your assistance, and you're showcasing how. They've prospered from the move, and it wasn't as bad as they all thought it was going to be. I'll give you a chance to address that too a little in this brief moment.
2: Well, you know, we don't take anything that we're doing lightly, uh, but we also recognize that change can be very, very difficult. And what we're really trying to do is minimize to the greatest extent possible the impacts from our project, but where there are impacts to work with people to make sure that they can realize perhaps different opportunities for their future than what they're experiencing right now. You know, that's really it, right? Um, right. When, you, when you look at something, it's how do you get the best possible outcome? And we have a whole team, right, of people working to deliver this project that are really looking at how do we get the best possible outcome for the state of California for the region of California, whether it be the Central Valley or Northern California or Southern California, or for an individual city or even a block within that city, right? How do we get the best possible outcome for everybody?
0: Well, could you talk to to some depth about what transpired in the Anaheim, Buena Park, and Fullerton Orange County
2: venues last October? yeah so we went and held our public open house meeting similar to what we'd had in the central valley and or excuse me in the San san fernando valley um, over the course of the last fall, and we were very, very um, encouraged by the feedback that we received from people. So? In that area south of Los Angeles, we're really focused on modernizing the existing rail corridor right now where freight trains and passenger trains are running so that in the future we can build in high-speed rail tracks and infrastructure and run high-speed trains there too. So that project also involves us being able to make improvements within that corridor as we bring high-speed rail in that would actually make that corridor a better neighbor to the communities that it runs through. So key safety improvements like grade separations, like walls and fencing around the corridor so that you know people and animals can't wander in in front of trains, that they're kept out of those corridors. Those types of improvements are things that we're looking at right now and that we would bring to that corridor to make sure that our trains could operate safely there. And people were very, very receptive of that con- concept.
0: I imagine. I mean, that there's, there's, it's all. It's the high-speed rail zipping through that that whole that safety issue is the first one. The displacement, next one. But were there any other? Were there any other takeaways that were Orange County like that uh, were were useful in what you were reconfiguring and incorporating into the system?
2: Absolutely. You know, every time we have a meeting, we have the discussions, and one of the keys is the real interest up and down the corridor in more. Passenger rail service, they want more Metrolink opportunities and trains. They want more Amtrak trains and so that more people can ride the train and get off the I-5 freeway if they choose to do that. Um, So we were very, very encouraged by that overall – positive uh, idea about more transit and transportation options where sometimes you don't think that you might find them. And so they're very, very supportive, although they're very concerned, again, you know, about the areas around these uh, train tracks where we would be planning. And so, you know, we're looking you know, really crossing by crossing, working with cities like Anaheim to determine how you would build a grade separation at key locations like State College um, to provide that additional safety and minimize the right-of-way impacts.
0: Well, Michelle, you've su- you've got support. It's tucked in all over the place. Uh, how can your regular Joe or your higher-profile Joe? make their support more salient to promote this public works vision.
2: So uh, what would be really, really terrific is if folks would take a moment, go onto our website and provide us with a comment, right? Um, look on our website for upcoming public meetings and go to the public meeting and learn more about the project and provide us comments. Uh, what we tend to find is that folks that are generally um, that generally believe that we're doing a good job they feel like we're doing a good job so they don't always reach right. out and make a comment right of that nature
0: to us they're not as mobilized so, I guess
2: motivated yeah 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 and so Um, They should think long and hard about all of our large infrastructure projects, and it is very, very helpful to owners, and that's the other thing. Sometimes I think people feel their voices may not matter. Everybody's voice matters, and in these big infrastructure projects, if you have a positive impression about how they're going. Stand up and make a comment about it. It is very helpful to owners in getting these projects built in the most um, effective manner. And finally, do not hesitate to call or write your local elected officials and let us know you think we're going in the right direction.
0: Well, and I noticed last week uh, California State Treasurer John Chang, who is mounting a gubernatorial campaign now, in sort of ever so gradually building it up, and it, sort of out of the corner of his mouth comes endorsement of the high-speed rail. So it's uh, it's maybe instead of making these out of the corner, maybe the more sort of center front, like what Michael Hiltzik, the uh, business columnist of L.A. Times has laid out, actually, early March in the LA Times. Well, Mark Baldessari's Public Policy Institute polled Californians, and I, I just want to quote this, and Michelle can tack on in any way she likes, a high-speed rail, eight years since the bond measure was passed. It's, uh, he posts that 53 percent support high-speed rail, the building it 52 percent of adults, 40, I don't know why he says likely voters, because that's, I guess he always has to pull likely voters, but it's not about that constituency. It's a much broader constituency supporting it. So when those that are opposed are asked how they would feel if the cost, if it costs less, then your support goes up to 66%. So it's sort of, people are watching the price tag, but as as, uh, Michael Hiltzik points out very well in his Orange County, I'm sorry, in the LA Times piece, I think March 6th, that you know every single public investment out there—it's they—they were—they're very expensive. That you know you have to, the the bidding is one thing and and completing is another. And there's a sort of a political, a kind of a a um, kind of a buy-in. You can't you know the price tag is a sort of a. I'm not making lie of the price tag, but it's just big projects cost a lot of money and a lot of and they're complicated. And so it's uh, <laughs> we ought to. Uh, Think big with this vision, I guess. I, I don't know if you wanted to add anything more to what the Public Policy Institute polled and what you're seeing there along with the public meetings. Uh,
2: you know, I think the the polls uh, speak for themselves. You know, it is a large project that still has a majority support within the state of California. That has not changed. And uh, transportation has proven uh, again and again, to be one of the key and critical components yes. to a strong economy. And so, these investments in our transportation infrastructure, even though they are very large and our needs are very large, ultimately sub, uh, support us growing our economy in the 21st century. And so, um, it's something that I think most people recognize is a, is a very important thing to do. Uh, to make sure that that we can leave to our children a state that's better than the one that we were born into.
0: And outfitting. Well, I guess we'll, we'll put the last question out here now with just about a, a couple of minutes left, is uh, when you do these public meetings, do you give people a kind of a, it's a genuine, it's an authentic point, a shock value of what an implausibility of adding to airports or adding to freeways. Did you ever put that sort of those alternatives as those those expenses and difficulties?
2: Yes, we do talk about it, and you know the investment in more uh, runways and airport gates and more lanes on our freeways. Uh, is much greater than the investment that we're making in high-speed rail that will get us the same capacity, basically. Um, It's two to three times more expensive to get the level of capacity by investing in our conventional highway and airports as it is in investing in this new mode, high-speed rail, that can really bring so many other things to the fore for the state of California.
0: So you can, I, when you're in those meetings and staff that's uh, present there with you, and maybe they can nod with you, that, that, that there is, you can get a palpable reaction, as well, this, this, this raises their, the favorability of uh, option HSR over, over the, the alternatives that we're talking about. Is, is, that, is there a palpable reaction when the public gets that message?
2: Uh, there is certainly it it creates that intellectual discussion about high speed rail rather than it just being emotional um, that really helps people to fully understand and right. by all means people are still concerned about the magnitude of the investment right, right. as 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 everyone should well be um, but that understanding of the trade-offs really makes people be able to balance it better within um, their worldview and understand how it is critically important that we do address and fix these things um, for our future.
0: Well, Michelle Baim, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for coming back today.
2: Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure.
0: Thank you. So you just heard from my guest, Michelle Bame, who is the Southern California Regional Director of the California High-Speed Rail Authority. So, that was my wrap. If you missed a portion of this or any other show, it's available to you via podcast on askaleader.com. Next week, we're going to hear from a group of aspiring genetic counselors who will tell you what they see over the leading edge that they lean. Then, Kevin Nelson of the Nature Commission with his behind the scenes involvement over the years will make the case for the Coastal Commission to leave the Banning Ranch parcel in its current open space use. This just one week in advance of the Commission convening right here in uh, nearby Newport Beach to hear this and other proposals. And if you follow any of this business, you'll know what uncanny timing this is for uh, us to cover that and uncanny location to have it the meeting in Port Beach the front yard of the Banning Rats. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.